1: Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.
2: I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin and Greg Barnes. It's our usual Tuesday night podcast. Our listeners, you'll get this on Wednesday, August 1st, and Greg, that means camp, is just around the corner. WCHL segments this week have been all about storylines for carolina football camp and i'll go to you first on this your biggest storyline heading into camp this year i feel like uh it's it's a different year but it's the same old stuff for north carolina football the storyline may not be football but your take on this as we head into camp i believe it starts on thursday
1: yeah tommy if you'd asked me this question in march or april or even may uh, we'd be talking about the quarterback battle between Chaz Rat and Nathan Elliott, but as everyone knows, uh, within the last couple of weeks, uh, the Shoegate situation has come to light. And for, for those listening that may not be familiar, North Carolina signed a contract with Jordan Brand. It's uh, only the second football program, along with Michigan, to sign a deal with basically a, a basketball. Uh, shoe company uh, associated with Nike, and in January issued some exclusive shoes to the football program, Uh, and some players decided to sell those shoes for money, and as as most everyone who is familiar with NCAA bylaws, and if you're a Carolina fan, you probably should be familiar uh, because of what has happened over the last eight years, that's not allowed and so North Carolina found out about it in February and within 24 hours had reported it, had controlled the situation, reported it to, to the NCAA. And in March, the NCAA had deemed that selling of the shoes as a secondary violation. And with that comes the potential for suspensions, uh, depending on how much the shoes go for. And we have been told that some of the shoes went for uh, you know $1,000 or more. And so that brings into uh, conversation some potential suspensions, and so that's going to be the the overarching talk during training camp. Um, we could find out about you know, any potential discipline early, as in the next week or so, or it could be you know as as late as uh, the California game. I mean, I think everybody that's old enough remembers back in 2010 when we didn't know exactly who was going to be suspended until. Uh, the players boarded the the bus to go to the airport to fly down to Atlanta for the kickoff uh, classic game against LSU. And so that's going to be the the prominent storyline. But beyond that, a quarterback still is a big issue. You know, who's, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Elliott, kind of the, the older veteran type, or is it going to be the, the younger guy with Rat, who probably has a higher ceiling? But there's a lot that goes into the quarterback position beyond pure talent. And there's a lot about the the thinking of the game and leadership and those types of things. So that's yet to be determined. There's also injuries. Your guys like William Sweet, J.J. McCargo, Luke Elder, Toe Groves, Cole Holcomb. All these guys did not participate in spring ball. And so while most of those guys are expected to suit up for training camp on Friday, uh, we'll have to wait and see exactly how all those things play out. Is this the year the defense finally? takes that step forward and actually kind of shares the, the weight with the offense. I think that's going to be key for this team. So there's a lot of different things we're going to be talking about throughout training camp, especially on this podcast. But number one, for sure is going to be what comes out of this shoe situation and how many players are going to be suspended. If some are actually suspended, that's, that's yet to be determined, Tommy.
2: Ross, you know, you know, We've been doing this stuff for quite a few years, and Greg and I have been doing these podcasts, and it's nice to actually talk football. So let's try to talk football in, in this podcast. Shoe, the shoe issue will play itself out over the next uh, few weeks. We'll have to know something before September 2nd at, uh what, 4 o'clock Eastern when the Hills take the field against California. But your take, Ross, on the number one maybe – Key or or thought or storyline heading into preseason camp later this week.
0: I mean, I think all eyes have to be on the quarterback, like Greg said. I think that can really make or break this season because I think UNC does have some some positive uh, aspects to their team, even coming off that three nine season. I think the defensive line can be can be really good. I think there's some bright spots in the secondary. I think there's questions at linebacker. I think the O line has a chance to be good, but there's just so many question marks and unknowns in the interior, and a lot of players who don't have the experience that you want to see out of a offensive line. And I think the offensive skill positions, um, with a lot of different players at wide receiver, and then some solid, proven guys at running back um, and tight end, c- can all be you know above average in terms of what we've seen from UNC in in years past. So it all comes down to the quarterback, which uh, is obviously the most important position on the field, and so it's going to be really interesting to see the strides that Chaz and Nathan have met, have made from the spring, you know, Chaz spent his spring break working with uh, that expert in California. His name escapes me, but I mean, obviously he has the physical tools. He has the arm. He's a better runner. He's a a bigger player. Um, But he was thrown to the fire last year and, and that really rattled him with his confidence and, he struggled at times and also showed flashes at time and, and, and Nathan Elliott came in and won some games and the team rallied around him, but he's also limited. So that's gonna be interesting to see what happens there. And I think obviously Greg's eyes will be glued to the quarterbacks when we get our 30 minutes to to watch. But um I always like to pay attention to the offensive line. I think I think if William Sweet can come back healthy uh and and play, you know, bookend. With uh, Charlie Heck, I think that's a really special group of tackles if they can stay healthy. Big question, is is Sweet going to be ready for you know going 100% with contact? Is that knee going to hold up? Is he going to be hesitant? Um, and so I'll be interested to see because behind them, there's not really much experience as well. And then J.J. McCargo takes over at center. He missed a spring. How is he going to look? Taking over for Cam Dillard, who was kind of a stopgap last year. Um, and then some guards. That, you know, don't have that much experience. Nick Polino is the most experienced guard. He he hasn't shown that he's, you know, any sort of elite player, but he does have experience. And then William Barnes or is it going to be um, uh, the, the the Ross, the, the soft uh, redshirt freshman Ross or a lot of Tyler Pritch has a chance in there. So there's a lot of different names we're looking at at guard as well. And I think um, if the line can be solid and the quarterback play can be above average, I think this team has a chance to, to maybe surprise a little bit, or at least get to that, you know, that five, six, seven wins, which I think is, is kind of where we're looking at them for the over under.
1: All right. So, so Ross, let me ask you this <laughs> coming into the 2017 season. Uh, I wrote several articles. I'm sure you probably did as well. Most everybody did because Larry Fedora was talking about this. But the strength was expected to be the defensive line on that side of the ball and the offensive line because North Carolina had so many guys that had 20-plus career starts. And I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but I believe it was like 140 starts along the offensive line that UNC Law solved last year's team. We know how last year played out. Injuries played a big role for sure. But I don't think the defensive line lived up to its hype by any stretch, although they did get better, you know, over the course of the year. And the offensive line, granted, was was injured. But as Chris Kapilovic told me in the summer, you know, while they did play a lot of guys that were injured, being you know, Cam Dillard, Khalil Rogers, R.J. Prince, Bentley Spain, the reason they went with the guys that were injured is because the guys behind them were not quite ready to to contribute they weren't as good as those guys that were playing injured so why should we expect the defensive line or the offensive line to be better than last year given what i just laid out
0: yeah and you posed the exact same question to me it might have been months ago after spring or something (laughs) it was phrased the same way and everything i mean it's a great point um you just gotta i mean rj prince i mean he was he was okay. He wasn't great. Um, and obviously he played ahead of some guys. Um, Cam Diller was solid, but he struggled at times as well. But obviously he played against JJ McCargo, played over JJ McCargo for for obvious reasons. Um Khalil Rogers, another player. I mean, the guy was seemed winded most of the game and and, and he obviously wasn't a, an average, he was a maybe an average player there. So your point is very valid. You just have to think that development you know plays a role. I really like the tackles. I think JJ Mercargo was serviceable. And I think Coach Cap will tell you that too, that they were kind of impressed with what he did. I think he started one game, maybe two, and, and played a couple others. I think they're encouraged by what he can do coming off injury. And then, yeah, there's there are questions at guard. And I think that's a concern. Um, but there are just a bunch of names. And who knows who steps up? Um, a guy like Tyler Pritch has played a little bit. I think they really like Billy Ross. Um, obviously, he wasn't ready last year, but coming in, he was a pretty, a pretty highly rated, highly recruited uh, player out of West Virginia. Um, and then Polino is kind of the the veteran there. And if William Barnes can put it all together, I think there's a chance there. So, I mean, you, I mean, there's a lot of predicting here. We're sitting here, July 31st, not knowing too much, not having seen too much. I think we're basing what we're saying, what I'm saying, off potential off I hate to say it recruiting rankings and kind of what we hear from the inside um been talking to certain players and and certain coaches and I think the the depth at offensive line right now as it stands healthy gives me a little more um uh, positivity than what UNC had midway through the season last year
2: Greg let me ask you a question based off that and this may be putting you on the spot but you can handle it uh (laughs) Give me some examples, Greg, of why North Carolina football fans should feel confident that the development of these younger guys that you guys are talking about now uh, will step up and perform this coming season from Coach Kapilovic and you know his staff on the offensive side of the ball. What makes uh, What gives you confidence in thinking that the offensive line if healthy, will be better than they've been because we can talk about quarterback all we want and Surratt and Elliott. Um, I think they can both be serviceable uh, with a solid offensive line. I don't think either one of them, I think Surratt probably leans to be the one that's more flashy and can be, like you mentioned earlier, higher ceiling. But if the offensive line is not much better than it was last year, I don't think it really matters who plays quarterback. So, Greg, I ask you again, what gives you confidence or, or what do you, what have you seen development wise in the past seven years uh, that this offensive line can be better in the natural progression of, you know, a normal offensive line on a college football in a college football program?
1: Well, I think Ross got around to it there at the end of his, his comments and that is the depth. Um, and when you when you factor in the recruiting rankings, like he said, I, I think that's kind of where you have to look. Because I'll take you back to 2014. Did Elijah Hood get tremendously better from that year to 2015 as a you know, individual running back? And I would say no. I mean, I'm sure he, he he progressed and got got a little bit better. But the reason that offense went dramatically better from 14 to 15. I mean, you look at the stats, and it's incredible the difference. I mean, it's almost like, I want to say it's almost two yards per play more, maybe 1.75 yards per play more. Um, But really the, the differential was that that offensive line matured. And so in 2015, Marquise Williams isn't running for his life. He doesn't have to run if he doesn't want to. Now, he continued to run because that's what he did, and he benefited because the offensive line was so good, but Elijah Hood and T.J. Logan, there were plenty of times when they were running through massive holes along that offensive line. Um, and so I think I think there's evidence that you know Chris Kabilovic has done a good job along the offensive line. Now the other aspect of this too is we're not talking about a Butch Davis time where you've got to you can kind of pound out yardage. That's not what Larry Fedora wants. He's got his RPOs in place on passing plays. His offensive line is blocking for the run and their kind of, their job is to kind of get up the field. Um, it's not to be a ground and pound necessarily. It's kind of more, you know, you spread, spread the defensive line out, you know, control your, uh, and take advantage of those opportunities to kind of get up the field. And so it's a little bit different where they don't have to be as good. We, we've talked about you know, so many times before on this podcast you, know, Fedora has said for years, you know, a sack on the quarterback is the quarterback's fault. It's not the offensive line's fault with the way the offense is designed. And so, I, th- I think when you kind of look back at you know, what Chris Kapilvic has done over the years, I you mean, look back at that 2011 team at Southern Miss, you know, the 2015, 16 teams at UNC. Those were the two best offenses UNC has ever had. Consider what we're all said about you know, recruiting rankings and depth. There's bodies there. um, There's talent there. It is inexperienced. But if he can mold those guys quickly, uh, I think this can be a very good offensive line down the road. Um, How quickly that is, we'll have to wait and see. But I do agree that the tackles look very good. Um, I'm not completely sold on the McCargo hype at this point in time, so the interior is still a question for me. Uh, But I think there's some pieces there to build around
0: let me let me dive in here. Um I think everybody on the there's no seniors on this offensive line, and they lost a lot of seniors. So I think while they they may be average to to decent this year average to decent this year, I think next year, two thousand nineteen is when this line maybe could be special with two seniors at tackle. William Barnes coming in either as a sophomore, probably yeah, he'll play as a sophomore. JJ McCargo with a year underneath his belt and all those guards and all that depth one more year experience. Cause there's no seniors on this offensive line. And that's going to, that's going to play a factor. There's no, that that senior veteran leadership. If you look at the line right now, I think the two leaders are are William Sweet and Charlie Heck and probably Charlie Heck more so because he is, he started almost every game last season and really grew and developed and has become a, a pretty nice prospect out there. So, um, I, it, like we've all said, it's the key. I think quarterback and offensive line is going to be the key. And I think it's what will be the two biggest storylines um, outside of the positivity and optimism surrounding the defense. Uh, O-line, QB, the two biggest things we'll be looking at uh, at fall camp. Yep. So that's one and sort of 1A storylines going into
2: camp. And for our listeners, it is Tuesday night. There is a bad storm. Uh, at least where I'm sitting, and, and Greg, I know you've had some. Ross, have had some. So if there's a little bit of technical difficulties during this podcast, bear with us. We're going to push through it and, and provide you with the best product possible. But understand that, you know, it, it's stunning and enlightening like somebody's out of their minds outside my window <laughs> right now. But uh, so so let's sort of turn, let's pivot all O-line and quarterback. And I think uh, maybe the second big storyline, football-related, is the defense has to be better, and I think that, Ross, I'll start with you. The defensive line is where the improvement needs to be made, because I'm not so sure that the the linebackers really are going to be, you know, I wouldn't put them in the expectation category. I think the expectations for the defensive line should be pretty high, though, this year.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually going to be writing about that a lot this week. I spoke with um, uh, Deke Adams over the summer and put uh, some content with him, and we talk with uh, Crawford, Aaron Crawford, at Media Day as well. And, I mean, it, it's clearly the strength of this whole team, and that's what they're expecting. That's what they're leaning on, strength of the defense. It all starts so up front. You look at the personnel. They go they go too deep in every position. Uh, I think more so their strength will be in the inside. With Crawford, who, who's kind of strangely getting a lot of hype, I think just a good kid that's worked really hard and has quietly become a, a leader. Uh, for the Tar Heels at the, at the nose tackle position, you have Jeremiah Clark, who you know has never been the, the flashiest, best player, but has been on the been a starter and off and on starter throughout his career at UNC, a big body player who missed some spring action, but um, he's gonna be a senior this year. You've got Jalen Dalton, who we're all waiting to have a breakout season, but he showed flashes. He's got the size and length, he's kind of that three technique player as well. Tyler Powell is another name to mention, and Jason Strobridge. That's five players at the two inside of its tackle positions, and they've all been in the system for so long. This is their second year under Deke Adams. Um, there's a lot of pressure on them to kind of lead this group, and they have the leadership there. And I mean, I, I think just based on those five names, even if one guy were to go out with an injury for a couple games, they have the, the personnel and the depth to kind of uh, fix that and, and fill in. On the outside, I, I, Malik, Car- Malik Carney is flying on the radar, but he had a, a pretty pretty spectacular uh, junior season at the defensive end spot. Uh, I think 5.5 sacks. He wants to double that, get get into double digits this season. Um, the vocal leader of the defensive line. And him combined with Taman Fox, who provides two fast, athletic, not necessarily long or big, but just two solid defensive ends who have a wealth of starts underneath their belt now and are looking to take the next step. Um, I just think there's a lot of bodies, um, some smart, solid leaders on that side as well. And another year under Deke Adams, I think um, with, you know, kind of that comfortability with comes with, with a a second year with a coach will help. I think there's a lot riding on these guys. And some of these guys are looking to the NFL and that kind of pressure to to kind of put together some numbers and, and have a good season. will You know, hopefully for UNC fans, kind of may help it come all together uh, for the UNC defensive line in 2018. Greg, getting this to position where it really—I mean, we've
2: talked about it before, and we always talk about in football you got to win in the trenches. But for North Carolina football, especially with maybe uh, some other teams in the area, this defensive line positions where North the rubber hits the road for North Carolina's defense. I mean, Carolina's got to be a physical football team. Um, in the defensive line, to maybe cover up any shortcomings, maybe at the linebacker position, I think the secondary would be pretty decent or pretty good, above decent, um, maybe above average. But <laughs> you know, defensive line is is for me as a as a as a football fan watching football, defensive line is where it at, where it's at. And for North Carolina this season, these guys are going to have to be. Uh, the strength for North Carolina to have any success above what some of the pundits were predicting?
1: Well, let me say this. So the company line with regard to let's say stopping the run is that the defensive line is clearly important. It's kind of the, the start of that, but it is a team defensive approach in that the defensive line has to fill its gaps. Linebackers have gaps uh, from there to fill. And then you may have a safety or two come up and, and, kind of finish out uh, any run plays. And that is true. And that's how defenses are set up. But for any Carolina fans that are close to my age and I'm 40, I'm a man, I'm 40. I was to say the same thing. <laughs> 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 Larry Fedora was off as a coordinator on that team, which is why I brought that up. Um, but if you're my age, then you were in school during the peak Mac Brown years. And I don't care what you say about those linebackers. And I know Brian Simmons was a heck of a player. Kay Bays was good. Spoon was good. But the defensive line dominated the line of scrimmage. And we're seeing it with Clemson now where in Alabama, I don't care what your linebackers or your line or your defensive backs do. If your defensive line can win at the line of scrimmage, and can make offensive linemen go backwards, and can create havoc. You can be successful as a defense. You can be really good, and then if you have good linebackers and good defensive backs, forget it. It's over. And that's what we saw at North Carolina, uh, twenty two, twenty, you know, twenty one years ago.
0: Stone age.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> Yesterday, brother. You'll Yesterday. know one day. Right.
1: Right. What were you uh, that you were in still in diapers, Ross?
0: Yeah, Pretty much. Wasn't sniffing Um, around football back then.
1: So I think that's how we kind of gauge it is, you know, when, when I hear coaches and players talk about, yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it's run defense really is a team defensive approach where everybody, all three lines have to be in check. I get it. And that makes sense and, and all that. But if you're going to be dominant defensively, your defensive line has to be incredibly good. And so while there is potential, um, for North Carolina to make that next step. I mean, Jalen Dalton has all the tools. He just has not put it together yet to be consistently effective. And so if him and Crawford maybe can do that on the interior and Fox grows up and Carney continues to be consistent, well, now you're talking. But we're going to have to see that play out first. And so that that's going to be very important, especially early in the year, because that, you know, September is so important for this team.
0: So Greg, do you think they have? it sounds like you think they have the parts uh, physically and kind of all the talent is there.
1: Mm, I think they have some, some good pieces. Let me put it like that. I think, I do. I think Dalton could be fantastic. We haven't seen it yet, but we've seen flashes and the coaches have talked about that. Hey, this is the guy that there are times when he is dominant. He is the best player on the line, but it's rare. And he's kind of developed this reputation of, well, he has these splash plays. He also has these head scratcher plays like the, you know, the, the roughing the pass for penalty against California. Yeah. Just pull up, just pull up. And that bell game, that ball game is over, right? Carolina wins that game, probably going away. But that one play turned the tide in that contest. Uh, And Aaron Crawford's very solid. He apparently had the best spring of anybody on the team. That speaks volumes. Malik Carney was very consistent last year, which I think is important. Uh, but Fox, it, they thought Fox could be really good last year. And what happened? He lost the starting spot. He wasn't good enough consistently. And Drennan started seven games. Um, so I, I do think like with the front, the first four, you know, that, that first team, there's potential there to be really good. Uh, and they do have some guys behind them that can, that can be, uh, you know good pieces, and now all of a sudden, if all these guys kind of grow and develop and you 've got a legitimate too deep, which is what they seem to think they may have, now you 're talking um but but you know i 'm not ready to say they have all the pieces in place, but they have some, and then some you know cream Morton, I think is a great example, two thousand thirteen right He was inconsistent early, that defense was not very good but he became a man the last half of that season and teams had to double team him. And that made everybody else in that defensive line better in the last six games of that year. While the offense gets a lot of credit with Marquis stepping in the defense was really good. I mean, that was a really good defense for UNC. And so that's the kind of thing I'm talking about is you need at least one or two guys really to elevate their play. And that helps everybody.
0: Yeah. And, I, I'm talking to Deke Adams and talking to other coaches around the program. Um, Deke was very adamant on getting f- a pass rush with four players. so that's going to be the focus, not having to bring someone else in to get pressure on the quarterback. There is going to be an increased focus on an aggressive rushing four and getting four to the quarterback and, and then completing the sack. And I think that's what they missed out on last year. They said they left out somewhere between like six to, to 12 sacks um, on on the field last year. So that's me to a focus as well. And also not to, to tell too much, but I think we're going to see a, a lot a, a kind of a different defense from UNC at times uh, under the second year under coach with um, some different things we haven't seen yet. Um, maybe some different schemes or lineups and how the linebackers and defensive line work together. So that's going to be interesting to see what changes they make. Cause I mean, last year didn't work. And I think, you know, backs against your wall, you've got to change some things. And so that's another thing I think that's really important to be watching. I don't know how much we'll see in the preseason, but in the first couple games, uh, the schematic differences and changes that the UNC defense will deploy um, to begin the season.
1: And Tommy, to to build off of that, I talked with John Papuchis a few weeks ago, and I talked to him about how there were times last year where he would stand players up along the defensive line all four of them at times, or he'd bring a linebacker up to stand up. And he talked about how different looks like that uh, tends to kind of frustrate and confuse the offense a little bit. They had a lot of success doing that. Uh, So kind of to to Ross's point, I I do think there's going to be some some unique additions to how UNC does things just based off some of the success that they've had with those looks in the past.
0: This is a hint, hint for the IC subscribers. (laughs) of some things that I think that we'll see that Greg and I have discussed. And even Tommy doesn't know. We're keeping Tommy out of the loop on
2: this one. They keep me out of the loop. Just please don't call it the NASCAR package. (laughs) Uh, And and I think Inside Carolina readers and subscribers will be happy. Uh, So, Greg, let me ask you this. How do you prevent the catastrophic plays? How does Papuchas and his staff and, and this defense prevent the catastrophic plays that have flat out killed this team uh did last year has done it you know multiple years but especially last year i mean those those are situations where one guy busts a coverage or blows something on one play and the offense is good enough whoever they're facing to take advantage of it we've talked about the miami game that being a big deal last year but so how does this staff work to prevent that i mean you know, I, it's tough to get it done, but it's got to happen for North Carolina to have success.
1: Yeah, and I think you have to get at the root of the problem. And really what happened last year is that because you had you had a returning experience up front, but still a lot of those guys were very young. You talk about Taman Fox, um, you know, had very little you know, uh, experience Aaron, at uh, that point in time, he was a sophomore. He played a lot as a freshman, still a young guy. Uh, Jalen Dalton, you know, hadn't played a whole lot. He's had some injuries and uh, just had spot minutes here and there. And you know, Jason Strobridge, you know, a lot of potential, but again, a young guy inexperienced. And so what you had was there were certain plays where those guys had gap responsibilities. And you hear a lot about gap integrity. Well, if those those guys get pushed out of their gaps, Well, the linebackers behind them have gaps they're responsible for. So if the defensive lineman gets pushed, maybe let's say into the A gap, and the linebacker is responsible for the A gap. If the linebacker, therefore, is inexperienced because, say, Andre Smith is out for the year, now you've got two guys competing at the A gap, and it leaves the B gap wide open. Um, and that leads to some of these breakdowns where we've seen some big runs. And then in the secondary, you have a young guy like a Miles Dorn, you know, who, who may get you know, beat on a certain play because you, he's played some, but he's, he's not the experienced, talented guy that maybe you, you need back there. Uh, and so I think that's a lot of it is, is putting these guys kind of through the ringer and letting them gain experience and understand that, look, you know, if you're a linebacker, and you see that the defensive tackle is pushed out of his gap, you have to know, okay, look, uh, he's not where he's supposed to be. I've got to cover for him. And once you get you know, that kind of experience, you can cover up for those lapses because you're gonna get beat on certain plays. I mean, everybody does. But if your teammates know not only their job, but everybody else's job, then you can cover for that. But it's when you have a lot of young, inexperienced guys out there who maybe are There's one here, forget what the guy, you know, three lines up from me is supposed to be doing. And so I think more than anything, that's kind of what you need. You need at least one or two guys on each line of the defense to know exactly where they're supposed to be and where everybody else is supposed to be. And that's how you cut down on those catastrophic plays because, look, even the best defenses in the country are going to give up some of those. But like, you know, in 15 and 16, North Carolina gave up seven. Last year they gave up 13. And that's what you cannot have because that—that's Miami. I think is a perfect example last year, right? North Carolina loses twenty-four to nineteen, and yet they give up. I think it was a fifty-one-yard touchdown and a seventy-nine-yard touchdown. That's the difference in the game. Those two plays, even though the other seventy-one, they played really good.
2: So, Ross, let's sort of pivot, and again, to our listeners, it's stormy here, and it's affecting our technology. Uh, can't beat Mother Nature, but Ross, let's sort of pivot away from the known storylines and give me maybe one that's not really uh, thought of a lot, maybe that uh, our listeners or our readers think about, but maybe you'll be looking for as camp progresses after it gets underway later this
0: week. I mean, is Fedora's job security a storyline? I would certainly think so, Uh, but... it should
2: it be i don't know um but is it you know i, I certainly think that in year 7 you know I, I would think most of our listeners would agree that um it is a is it it is a storyline but
0: I, yeah, is I that think, fair i don't know i think we spent a whole podcast talking about job security and maybe this is not the i mean obviously this is going to be a topic of discussion but i think I think a cool thing to watch this season is going to be well, – maybe not cool, but they got the new facility coming up. they got the new seats in Keenan, the reduced capacity. The recruiting is not going well. They lost – UNC lost a commit, one of their top commits, which is the number 29 player in the state, to, to Penn State over the weekend. Um, and, and how important winning games early, who knows who's going to be suspended, when that's going to happen. Um, and how important winning games early and building some momentum heading into the bulk of the season is, where the fan support is, is there going to be kind of a switch of momentum if UNC were to go three and one or maybe four and zero to start the season if things start clicking? And kind of the general state of UNC football, I think, is at a huge crossroads this season. And what happens this year, and what happens early in the season, and then because they're going to lose some games. And they get into the the bulk of the ACC and Coastal Division um, games. So how they start and how they compete in some of the winnable games, I think is going to be critical. And I was looking at the schedule today, and I was talking with an ECU guy about how the ECU game, I mean, that's, that's going to be ECU's Super Bowl. And no matter how bad ECU is, it, it's in Greenville, and it's against Carolina, uh, a, a team and a, a school that is exactly opposite of their culture. And, uh, and they're going to they're gonna treat that game, and, and that coach is going to be fighting for his job, and so who knows what happens there. And uh, I think just what we see from Cal, ECU, UCF, and that Pitt game, and, and how they approach it and what we see, I think it's going to be critical for kind of the future of this uh, of the Larry Fedor era in UNC football moving forward from 2018 to 2019. It's just kind of crazy to think about uh, how important this year is for the program.
2: Greg, to wrap the show, I've said it before. I think the California game is a program game for Larry Fedora and his staff. Is that fair? And you know, how much pressure does that put? And, and they can talk about all they want that oh, there's no pressure. Every game's the same. Yeah. Or the but how much pressure is on Fedora and his guys and this team to get off to a fast start? Because I think you know, if they go four and zero to start the season, then you know, sky's the limit, but if they do the, you know, the Carolina thing and start two and two or, or less, and I say Carolina in quotes is, it has the mediocrity maybe, but how important for Fedor and his staff are these first, uh, two, three, four weeks of the season?
1: Yeah, see, I'm not on board with the, um, I'm not on board yet with the idea that, that Fedora's job is in jeopardy. And I think he has one more
0: year, I, Greg, too.
1: I, I do. And I, I, think, I think if you approach this season with the mindset of, look, last year's team, had they been healthy, was probably going to be a 500 team. And then all hell breaks loose. The injuries happened, which, I mean, the injuries were ridiculous. And I'm, I'm not the most optimistic person but I try to be very realistic if possible, and some say that's a pessimistic view. But I think you have to give the coaching staff a a pass, and I think they did a pretty good job in in keeping that team together considering what we saw in 14. And I say that because you kind of set back a year. And so coming into this year, I think the goal is, look, forget about last year, Let's, let's build upon it, let's get to a bowl game, and let's move forward. Um, and so, having said that, California's big, yeah. But I think California could be decent this year. And that's a tough game to open up at, especially if you have suspensions you're dealing with. And then UCF, I think it's going to be really good. Um, And I understand that you know, most of the time when you have a hot coach and he leaves, that they're not as good as they were. There's a big drop-off. But Central Florida has a lot of guys back. Uh, and Mackenzie Milton is an incredible quarterback and i think he could pose a lot of problems so i don't think it's you out of the realm of possibility and it's probably a likelihood that unc starts two and two but if two of those losses is california and ucf that means one of the wins is against pitt and so now you're talking about okay well you're one and oh in the acc and that's probably a 50 50 game now if you can turn that around and take advantage and and go four and four, even five and three in ACC. Now we're talking about seven and five with a chance to win eight. I think that's a heck of a year. I think that's a really good year. And so I understand that fans will panic if UNC starts two and two or one and two, whatever it may be. Now, if they go to ECU and lose, okay, so we can <laughs> we can scratch this and have a whole different conversation. But if they're competitive at Cal and lose, and then they're competitive at home against UCF and lose, and they they take care of business at ECU and they can win a pit. I think there's a lot to be optimistic about going into October, and I don't think it's the conversations. Oh, Larry's job's on the line. I think it's okay. They got through the first month. They have an understanding of who they are. They got all these suspensions out of the way. Now we can see exactly how good this team can be. And the Coastal Division that's, that's really not that good. Miami is going to be really good but everybody else is going to be kind of average. And so that's kind of the, the, the perspective that I'm trying to take into the season instead of saying, you know, the Cow's cows, it. If they don't win Cow, forget it. I, I don't think that's fair.
0: Tommy.
2: Well, I'm not saying that it's fair, but I'm saying that it it certainly shapes the fan base.
1: Oh, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, there's no doubt if Carolina loses that game at Cow, the message boards will erupt. There's no doubt about that. So I think from a from a fan perspective, you're right on point that that's going to be a game everybody's looking at. I don't think that's going to tell us an awful lot about how good this team can be, though, unless they go out there and get boat raced and then, you know, all bets are off.
0: Two and two, you, if you have them two and two, you have them beating Pitt, which I don't think is, a, I mean, that's not a sure thing
1: at all. Correct, and that's like I said, that's a 1-0 that's a and o start in the ACC, which you know, North Carolina has had incredible amount of trouble winning the first game in the ACC season over the last what sixteen, seventeen years. They have they've only won like two or three of those games.
2: Since it's, it's here. You guys are gonna be busy over the next month we as we leave schedule. <laughs> we haven't gotten <laughs> yeah. schedule.
0: We have no idea what our schedule is for the next uh next thirty days. Life's so tough.
2: It's tough life, man. <laughs> tough, tough chasing around eighteen through twenty two year olds on the football field. Uh, but y'all do it well and it's always fun to read and listen to what you do by the way great interview with danny green ross i saw that
0: on youtube and i actually watched it it was impressive yeah Um, thank you we got uh, there's two there's two of them up there i think they were i think they're on the site last week i was in belize but ben got the the articles out uh last week uh, good stuff there it's always good to hear that those
2: kind of interviews not necessarily Uh, team-specific related to the current stuff, but it's always fun to look back. We need to get some of those football ones done. Ross, Greg, appreciate you joining me. Uh, Ross, enjoy your evening. Greg, you and I have got work left to do, but that'll do it for this podcast. Appreciate it, guys. See you, Tommy.
1: Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.